Left. Right. Yo, 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 late night of me editing this podcast, but I'm trying to get this episode to you guys as quickly as possible. This is a pretty cool episode where we, uh, we're talking a little bit about the wealth gap, and we expand on it over the next couple episodes. Uh, we also talk about this crazy fly, this crazy bug. It's almost a beetle, almost a fly. Uh, it's called the spotted lantern fly, something like that. You'll hear about it in the episode. Uh, if you haven't heard about these things, you are about to hear all about them. They're overtaking the Northeast right now and uh, super crazy invasive species from uh, from Japan, China, Vietnam. So uh, give us a listen and uh, let me know what you think in the comments. And uh, I'll see you next time. Thank you for joining, as always. This is Sip Talk. Grab a drink and enjoy. That's, uh, that's the end of our intro music. What's going on, James? Uh, I was looking at some graphics about wealth inequality. All right. I need, I need your brain. I need some stats. Hello, everybody. This is Sip Talk, episode 136. My name is Justin DiGiulio. I'm joined by James, the Bosnator Boswell, philosopher, accountant, professional referee, and bartender. James is out of Charleston, South Carolina. The glare glowing off this face. Yeah, it's the research department doing their work. Oh, yeah, we need some we need some heavy research. So, look, I want to before we get into we're going to talk about wealth inequality. Um, and I'm going to pick your brain on that stuff for a little bit. But have you heard of this new bug called the spotted lanternfly? No. Holy fuck, man. This is big. This 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 is uh, some crazy shit with this bug i'm, I'm gonna tell you all about it let me let me ask first what are you drinking over there um first on the list is a gosa by r&d brewing out of north carolina their passion fruit gosa and it's really good mm, is that like a, a sour beer half, half uh, i consider it like gosas to be like half sours they're they're lighter than a full sour um usually they're like they're brewed with salt as well um are they, do they get the salt out of it somehow? Like no, it's a little, it? and it's not. It's not like a salty drink. It's not like you're drinking something like a Gatorade or something that's got tons of salt in it. Um, but it, I don't know. I find that it, it lightens up the drink a little bit, and there is a sour note to it. But and it doesn't have like a strong beer flavor to it either. Interesting. I think uh, I might be familiar with. I might have. I might be drinking one of these actually lately at this uh, German bar I sneak out to on my lunch break. So I'll have to I'll have to look it up and I'll send it to you. I'll let you know what it is. What I doubt you'd be able to find this one in New York City, but you one. can find that Gosa is something that has gotten a lot more popular in the last couple of years. So you can probably find one in a bar. And what um, what else are you drinking there? You, uh, you know what else is on deck? So you, you get, you're drinking two different beers right now. Uh, well, one after the other. Well, effectively, I got a uh, it's a cool bottle from the the wine club that I, I used to be part of. They don't ship out to Jersey. So but this is the Katu. You heard of this wine? That's not bad. 
It's a little uh, Pinot Noir. I don't know. It's been a while since I had it, but I uh, was looking for something not too uh, not too strong to sip and talk tonight. So I want to tell you about this bug. I'm gonna pour this. Uh, I don't. What do you use for a, a wine bottle opener? Um, something similar to that. I like the double jointed ones where, like, what you're doing right now. Yeah. There's a second joint that you can use on. Um, yeah, I'm familiar with the, the they have a little elbow kind of thing that that uh, I fold. I'm going right into a rocks glass here because because I'm classy, and uh, I actually think that was my leftover glass from uh, the scotch I was drinking last episode because I can smell scotch as I poured this glass of wine. So I'm going to tell you about this bug, man. Uh, I, I saw this bug on the ground outside the train station because, you know, I take I drive to the train station every day. I take the train into the city. And uh, one day it was either the end of June or the beginning of July this year. And it had rained the night before. And I see this little red bug with spots like kind of blotchy white and black spots on it. And it's got these really kind of crooked, devilish fiendy looking uh legs and uh it's it's got these uh, you know kind of it's got like it's uh it's joint kind of up above it yeah and i'm looking it, at pictures of it well so all right it's it's a creepy looking bug and what they do is they stop they just pause and then they leap they hop and they can hop i don't know probably six to ten feet and that's I couldn't really figure out exactly what it was. I, you know, I, I Googled it, the, these red bugs. Um, I'm thinking like maybe it was a member of the beetle family. They were pretty small. And uh, I just, it, I was like, I've never seen these bugs before. They look really weird to me. Nobody else seems to know what I'm talking about. Whatever. So uh, I didn't see them for a while. I didn't pay attention. Every once in a while, when I go to sit in the bench by the park, or the, by the, the train station, I'll look for them because I don't want to sit on a bug or, have one of these things crawl on me while I'm chilling there and uh, haven't seen them in a while. Then I started seeing a larger version of a very similar looking bug that has this gray, these gray wings on it with some spots on it. And uh, these things really fly. So they, they hop and then they'll kind of catch flight and, and flutter away uh, almost like a fat butterfly and uh or a moth or something but they have this red underwing underneath them I'm like holy fuck that's the same bug it's just a later a later version of it kind of like a caterpillar turns into a butterfly type of thing and uh and it's freaky dude it's freaky i'm gonna share a couple of i don't know if you'll be able to see this uh because i'm not doing a shared screen but i'm gonna share a couple for those who are watching live i got uh uh, I'm going to send you this link actually right here. Yeah, it seems like it goes through like a couple variations. Well, I've been I heard about it the other day and uh, they were talking about it on the radio. I was like, holy fuck, like they're talking about this on the radio. This must be a, a, a big thing. And they're saying how it's an invasive species. I'll get there. So I'm, I'm, the first picture I'm showing, I don't know if you uh, if you click that link I just sent you, but it looks like somebody mushed some bubble gum up against a tree. And but it's gray. So it just looks like old gum that's that's been uh, been sitting there. And then I got another picture. I don't know what that is. I think it's some some eggs. Um, and then it's a black. It looks like a black bug, a really kind of sporty looking beetle with white spots on it. And then apparently these things turn 
red. And if you guys are looking at this at this bug on the screen, it's it's pretty fucking freaky. Um, I can't think of any other bug that looks like this. And uh, and there's another picture here. You can see they kind of orange out and then they actually turn to this this gray with black spots on it. And it looks a little more beetle like. And uh, in full truth, man, these things are are creepy as fuck. I got one more video I'm just going to show. And uh, anybody who's watching on the, the live stream will be able to see these these crazy bugs because so. So, look, so I told you, I saw a bunch of these things. They kind of freaked me out. And uh, I'm reading I'm, I'm listening. I've been reading about it all day, but I, I actually caught another radio spot this morning. They're talking about these bugs. And the basic solution was if you see one squash it. But I was mowing the lawn two weekends ago, and I must have gone through a fucking nest of these things. Just like it, I might I might as well have hit like a fucking bomb. These things were all over me, scared the shit out of me because I didn't know what the fuck was going on. Uh, but these things are so wildly super dense. Rosh, I don't know if you're watching the, the live stream and you can see this, but I'm going to throw this video up there of how how dense these things are and how, how thickly populated they are that stomping on one of these things is not going to fix the problem. I'll, I'll tell you a little bit, bit about where they come from, what they are, but you got to see this video. Oh, fuck. So it was a tree just covered with these things. And this guy barehanded just wiping these things off the, off the tree. Truly, truly freaky. So I, I'm guessing you just did a little little research uh, on where these things. Do you find out where they come from? China. They come from China, and uh, they're in India and Vietnam. They and they spread to Japan, and they've been in the state since 2014. First found in Pennsylvania, and people were worried about them spreading because it seems like a good portion of the country would be a habit for the habitat for them. Yeah, so they so they probably found their way over on some shipping containers or something like that is what they're suspecting. And, you know, New Jersey is pretty close to Pennsylvania. And uh, there's a lot of people go back and forth between Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York. Everybody goes in and out of New York City. They're spotting them throughout Brooklyn, uh, Central Park, Harlem, all over the place. And the, the density in these bugs, it's not like you're seeing one or two. In the beginning, I'm sitting there and I, I see this one red bug I've never seen before. Then I start looking around. They were literally everywhere. Uh, and this is an invasive species. And they eat, they eat plants. Uh, they eat trees. And uh, I think they like, uh, what I heard today is they like trees that don't have a thick bark. So any smooth tree, they, they like to chew on these trees. So uh, like grapevines. They're a huge threat to the to the wine industry. Um, I don't know. I, w I wish more people had, had seen this bug. So if you guys are listening to me and you haven't seen this, this bug, some, uh, Sue on TikTok says they're all over Staten Island. Um, and it's, no, it's nothing like a cockroach. It's, uh, it looks like it's got a soft exterior, uh, almost moth-like moth -like wings. Um, but yeah, they feed on a lot of common plants. 
and they don't do that much harm to the plant, it sounds like, from eating them. But I guess they excrete this super sweet kind of goo that they call honeydew. And then a lot of other insects are attracted to this honeydew excrement, <laughs> like bees and, uh, and wasps and things like that. And then also this sweet excrement, <laughs> which is just shit, really. They call, they're calling it honeydew um, because it's sweet. But that gets. I wonder um, who was the first researcher to say. I wonder what that tastes like. Also, um, what, what? Let's let's move on to topics that maybe people can interact a little bit more with. Um, all right. Well, hold on. I, I wanna... don't see. I don't see invasive species as a hard hitter on the uh, the viewer commentary. So, but hang on. I want. I want so I want to. I want to finish my my thought on on these bugs though, because they are truly freaky looking bugs. And, and really what they're saying is I want to finish about the, the bug shit, the honeydew, is uh, that uh, causes mold on the plants and a fungus grows on that, uh, you know, through the mold. And that's really what destroys the plants. Um, and one last thing on this, they're attracted to this tree called the tree of heaven. Have you, have no. you, have you heard no. of the tree of heaven? All right. Well, I guess I'll see if I can send that to you uh, in the chat here. But this tree of heaven is apparently also from China and India, and it's a super invasive species of tree. And these things are super attracted to that. I'm going to throw that on the, on the screen here for anybody who's watching live, because these are pretty common plants. I actually have seen them growing uh, around here, and they're very invasive, almost like bamboo. And so and I actually, the art, first article I read was the tree of heaven is really more aptly should be called the tree of hell because it's another invasive species of, of tree. So just uh, interesting stuff that, that's new on my radar. I thought I was pretty familiar with bugs. We went out to uh, Dyken Pond. We spent a lot of time in the woods, a lot of time around trees and bugs. And I've never, never seen this. But to me, that, that little red insect, even the black one with the spots on it, it's got this weird look to it. Kind of like when you, when you compare like a Ford or a Chevy to like a Nissan GTR or, uh, you know, one of the souped up Hondas, you know what I'm talking about? The, these Japanese sports cars that, that are really mean and almost futuristic looking, but they have a distinct okay. look compared to like an American muscle car or just regular American sedan. You know, the difference I'm talking about between your sporty Japanese car versus your sporty American car versus your sporty mm, European more car. angular. Much more angular. I guess it's it's uh, it's got a really sharp angled body and it's it's a really ugly fucking bug. So on that note, though, we can talk about some wealth gap. I'm going to I'm going to pull up the uh, Instagram live and see if I can uh, tune in with these guys, too. If you guys are watching live, let us know your comments. You can talk about the bugs. We'd love to hear about these bugs. If you've seen them, sounds like you guys on TikTok. Uh, it sounds like you guys on TikTok have definitely seen them. So uh, squash them is what their answer is. So, James. What's up? What are we talking about? Well, the, the main topic tonight is going to be wealth inequality and what, what it means for where we are right now and what we might need to do to fix it. 
Ben I was doing a little research before we came on air and the wealth inequality in the in the United States alone is is wild. And so when you it, when you break it down to world scale, it kind of evens out the Americas, but it shits on a lot, a lot more of the the world. But well, I'll, I'll let you. Well, it depends it. on. Yeah, you need to look at how you're measuring it, because if you're looking at wealth inequality only within this country or wealth inequality on a global scale, um, it makes a big difference because somebody like me in the United States is probably actually in the top 10 to 20 percent. But in the global context, I'm well above the top one percent. Yeah, but also we're, you know, in a first world country like the United States, we have a huge disparity in wealth and the people on the very low end for the most part, because there's a lot of them. So when I say most part, I mean the majority of them all have access to food, shelter and social services. Whereas for the most part, yeah, for the most part. And again, I say most part is in the majority of them. There's obviously a select few who don't. But also, I would say for the most part, those social services exist in the U.S. Usually what's holding these people back are mental illness uh, or drug addictions in, in what I have seen. Compared to other parts of the world, like we don't really have a problem of people starving to death or like wasting away on a street. Well, it happens well, a little bit. But if you go to other countries, it happens a lot. Yeah, you have people who have access to no regular food, no clean water, no shelter, and there's no social services that are taking care of them. You take a country like India and there's no, there's no social safety net. Like, and we, we have, you can look at some of the countries that like, you can look at um, like GDP per capita and you'll see some countries that have GDP per capita of under a thousand dollars. And that's for a year. So think about, the most you've ever earned in a day. Mm -hmm. And then think about that probably being three to 10 times higher than what some people make in a year. Yes, of course, they're in different economies. But uh, but also, I'm curious how these people are spending this money, because they're obviously putting in the work to make that thousand bucks. So there has to be some value in the thousand dollars. Well, when you look at it by the the people that are like making three hundred dollars a year or something, um, like the people the the person that's making three hundred dollars a year has virtually no expenses. They they most likely are subsistence farmers where yeah. they don't have water, they don't have electricity, and their food comes from what they grow. So, like what little they sell to make money. I don't even know, like they, they, it probably just goes to purchasing like small tools or like maybe clothing, but chances are most of their clothing they make themselves. So they're, they're, they're highly self-sufficient, but they also have virtually no chance of being able to generate any form of wealth. Or, but yeah, or yeah, upward mobility when it comes to, to wealth and wealth generation is basically impossible. But I feel like people in the U.S., I, but I also feel like those people work a hell of a lot harder 
than the poor people in the U.S. Oh, for sure. And and the poor people in the U.S. don't aren't uh, not everyone. And again, I'm talking about a a very sliver minority of of people that are not working and not trying very hard but we do have the safety net so i'll let you get more into the topic i'll ask some questions well you're you're, there's i I don't i need to find it but there was a really interesting article i read a while back where it talked about with wealth inequality and it wanted to show the difference between what we perceived as oh i just found it i know exactly what you're talking well, what, about what we basically, thought it was what we thought the ideals were and what the reality is yeah i'll let you describe that because uh you could probably paint a better picture than i yeah could. i need to I, I i would love to be able to revisit that article and look through it again but the basic idea was okay so how do you think they they, they asked two questions how do you think wealth inequality or wealth should be distributed? And virtually everybody understands that some inequality in wealth is kind of necessary and also good. That the person who doesn't do any work at all shouldn't be worth as much as the person who works every day of their life, like hands to the bone. Mm-hmm. That so having some people be worth more than others isn't a bad thing. And so they said to people, like kind of graph out a scale by like quintiles. So like the bottom 20% and then like the three middle 20% and the top 20% and say, how much wealth should each quintile get? Mm -hmm. And you'd get, it it kind of follows like the 80, 20 rule where most people like you put about 80% in the top 20% and then kind of like divide by two for like the next so you have 10 percent go to the next one and then five percent go to the next one and then two and a half and then like one and a quarter or something like that so it's kind of like a parabola where about 20 percent of the wealth goes uh, to the bottom 80 percent and mm-hmm. so that's what people wanted <laughs> and then um what they then they asked how do you think it is right now and so if you did that same quintile again, I think people put like 95% in the top 20% and then the, the other 5% goes to the rest of the 80 or something of like, how do people think it actually is right now? And there's a chart. I saw I'm going to try to pull up a graphic here just to, yeah, if you can, and then, well, and then they show what it actually is and they like, they compare, the graph of what people thought it was saying, hey, this is a problem, but this is what we think it actually is with how it actually is. And it's totally skewed with like right. the reality being much heavier weighted towards like the point one, top point one percent. So I actually I have that on the screen right now. I'm going to I'm going to uh, you won't be able to see it from your end, but it says what Americans think distribution is and then the distribution that basically 92% of the survey thought was ideal. And, uh, and then I'm going to bring it to what the reality actually is. And the reality is that uh, the top 20% of the wealth is in, it looks like nearly 80%. Uh, the top 20% have 80% of the wealth. Right. That's what I, that's what I said. Yeah. 
and then it, it breaks it down and uh it actually has some pretty cool pretty cool numbers where it shows the top one percent and how much they have compared to the yo can you send me the link yeah i did check out check out your your group chat there the okay. the rosh and, and justin and james text i think you'll you'll i, I wish i could have I wish our system allowed us some some more interactivity where we could throw some of these graphics on there and then also not have to worry about uh, stepping on somebody's copyright covered shoes. Um, but it's it's a, this is a this is a dot org website, so I think we're OK. Ooh, nice. All right. Well, uh, in that case, let me uh, I'm just going to roll it. We'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, all right, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna rewind it a little bit, and we'll play it, and you can you can uh, you can watch on your yeah, own. Yeah, go to like minute three. Go to like three and a half minutes in, and if you can link the video so that everyone can see this, because I think this is where we need to start our conversation. Is what do you think the situation is, and then here's the actual reality. All right, so it starts with socialism, where everybody is broken down with the exact same amount. Uh, you want to you want to mute that video? Yep, or, or yep, mute, it's fine. Maybe mute yourself, play it, and I'll I'll play this one on here. So I've got it muted. Here. All right, cool. We need to encourage people to work, work hard to achieve that good old American dream. Keep our country moving. Talking about why socialism doesn't work. So, can you screen share this? Not, no, I can't. This isn't too bad. We've got some incentive as the wealthiest folks are now about ten to twenty times better off than the poorest Americans. But hey, even the poor folks aren't actually poor since the poverty line stayed almost entirely off the chart. We have a super healthy middle class with a smooth transition into wealth. And yes, Republicans and Democrats alike chose this curve. Nine out of 10 people, 92%, said this was a nice ideal distribution of America's wealth. But let's move on. This is what people think America's wealth distribution actually looks like. Not as equitable, clearly. But for me, even this still looks pretty great. Yes, the poorest 20 to 30% are starting to suffer quite a lot compared to the ideal. And the middle class is certainly struggling more than they were, while the rich and wealthy are making roughly 100 times that of the poorest Americans and about 10 times that of the still healthy middle class. Sadly, this isn't even close to the reality. Here is the actual distribution of wealth in America. Can we at least take the picture from the, the very last slide um, at six minutes and five seconds and share that with everybody? Um, yeah. Because yeah. I think that image alone is what we really need to show of that spike. With the one guy. How much better off? No, go to six minutes and five seconds and see if we can share that image on screen so that everyone can see it. Because that's that's what I want to talk about. Is it, well, that's it, it's tough to see on the screen this spike, but it is, and and they're showing you the ideal, which is this little white graph. It's really tough to see on the. Uh, here's the ideal, and then all right, I'm just going to draw it, it. and then. Uh, and then the reality is that the top 1% has so insanely um, uh, much of the actual wealth. Well, I don't know. What are you going to draw it and you're going to throw it on a screen here? Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> well, it's it was on the screen right here. So um as boring as that might have been. Sorry, Instagram guys. I see you guys disappeared, but it is nice to have you guys while you're here. James is drawing the graph of the what I just showed you basically of the wealth inequality. You want to hold it up? This is the best I can do. All right. Let's bring um, it closer to the screen, nice and close. And to your right a little bit. Yeah, down. Ideal, think, and reality. I actually think your reality is is less. it doesn't go high enough. It doesn't go high enough, exactly. So what's up with that? Well, there's a bunch of reasons that this this problem exists. The first is the way that tax structure um, works, where you have a lot of people that the, the people that make the most money or are worth the most in this country, almost entirely that wealth is from, from stock holdings, where it's not liquid cash. It's not like they just have that money in the bank. And it's not like they are paying, they're not getting a W-2 for $4 billion a year. It's, they have a large ownership interest in a company that they either founded or acquired a long time ago for very cheap. And they've got millions or billions of shares of this, com of this company. And as the company gains in wealth, their wealth is reflected on that because you can just take total number of shares times share price. And that's how much theoretically, if they were to sell all those shares, they could get for cash. And so the way that taxes work in this country is you aren't paying tax on stocks that you haven't sold yet. You only have to pay tax on, on the gains on stocks once they are sold. And mm -hmm. so one thing that you can do is let's say you will have a 50% ownership in a company that's worth $100 billion. So you're in theory worth $50 billion with that mm -hmm. stock. Mm -hmm. But you don't have that much cash. Well, if you want cash, all you need to do is go to a bank and say, hey, I'd like a loan for $10 million. And the bank will say, okay, what do you have to collateralize it? And you say, I've got $50 billion worth of stock. So you just give them, you just sign over some amount of shares of stock to this bank. Interest in, in some of those shares. You just say, here's 100 shares, or let's say a million shares of stock in this company that isn't yours, it's still mine. But if I don't pay you back for this loan, then you can have those shares. So the bank will say, all right, cool, you're collateralized. And, okay. and then you didn't have to. At, at what point does this become lucrative? Well, you can take that $10 million and just do whatever you want with it. Like you don't have to pay tax on it because it's a loan. You have to pay it back. But you can take that money and it, it's, it's basically tax-free money that you can have. And if you need to pay the interest off, then what you can do is you can just sell a very small amount of your shares. Let's say the interest rate's 3%. Then you only need to sell 3% of the shares that were collateralized every single year to cover your interest payments. Mm -hmm. So you just got $10 million or $50 million or whatever the loan amount was in cash that you can do whatever you want tax-free. And then you really only have to pay tax on the stock that you sell to cover the interest payments every year. Mm -hmm. But the so, interest is a, you can write off the loss of the interest, right? Um, not not really. 
Uh, you might be able to okay, say that the interest expenses, you could associate that as investment interest expense. So yeah, you'd be able to deduct that against your capital gains. Yeah. So, so how is it that these rich people are getting so much richer? Is it all through ownership of companies and assets? Well, that's, I mean, that's how you do it, is you found a company that's worth a ton of money. Not many people, it's, it's virtually impossible to get to a billion dollars by producing something yourself. In fact, I'm going to say it's impossible to do that. That you're going, and this is where we start to get a little bit Marxist here and say that the way that you get insanely rich is by profiting off of other people's labor. Mm-hmm. And it's all these companies that were able to find a product and then scale it and scale it and scale it and scale it and get investors to to buy into the company so they can continue to scale. And the but question that's, is, that's that's the I you know, it's really it's really funny because and, and listen up, kids or anybody, really. I realized a long time ago, and you know, maybe I haven't taken a, a career delve into you know something that will make me uber wealthy, but I realized a long time ago that when you're starting a company, that the real wealth and growth comes through systems, right? Not mm-hmm. through not through a product, but through systems. Just like McDonald's isn't successful because they have a the world's best hamburger but because they have a great system and they're building on real estate and franchising, but mostly the system that they have. So the cool thing about systems is that you can expand on them. And that's basically what you're saying right now Yeah, is, is profiting well, off of. So what's the most valuable company in the world right now? Oh, I don't, I don't have any idea. Um, oh, it's gotta be uh, Amazon. You would or, think uh, Amazon Chinese one. What's the Chinese one? Alibaba. No, Amazon's bigger than Alibaba. Um, so the actual the largest company in this world by, by market cap is actually Saudi Aramco. Which what do they do? Oil. Oil? Yeah. Yeah. But let's let's forget about them because basically the reason why they're so valuable is like investors are just looking at, well, you're founded in a country that's sitting on a ton of oil. So like a share in Saudi Aramco is really just a share in the future oil reserves of a country. But yeah. so that's an exception to the systems. But the one that everyone thinks of, and I'm pretty sure that this is probably number two, is Amazon. Yeah. And you look at Amazon and you think, okay, does Amazon make a lot of money by selling things through its store? Uh, like when you, you buy, you go on Amazon and you order something. You get a book, you get a computer, you get a cell phone, and, and I buy whatever the hell from, you want to buy. I buy it from thriftybooks.com through Amazon, and then Amazon takes a cut of the total purchase price. Or, or you just buy it straight from Amazon. It's just Amazon has it in their warehouse. You put an order, and Amazon sold you something, that, right? So you, yes. Do they make a lot of money off of that? I would assume that's where they make the vast majority of their money. No. And, and or I, at least that's not where they create their wealth. That's not what makes Amazon a trillion dollar company. Okay. It, it, what Amazon, the reason why Amazon is so valuable is because they've expanded into all these different spaces. Amazon Web Services is a way that they get into like making it so that what was previously really expensive, like web hosting and cloud services and everything else, they made it more accessible for other businesses. So they took over a space that 
was previously very expensive and hard to get into. They took it over and made it easier for the small guy to have a part of. Mm-hmm. And you can look at buying, like for selling things online, if you're a seller on Amazon, like I've got a client in the accounting world that does most of their business through Amazon. And so being able to have your own distribution network that can ship things worldwide and can warehouse goods and everything like that, that used to be really difficult to do. And it still is. But Amazon's built this network where you can have a company that makes things and you can have a small warehouse on your own. And then every month you ship things to Amazon. And then Amazon's in charge of the warehousing, the inventory, the distribution, the shipping, the online processing, everything. Mm-hmm. And so you can have this huge online presence without having to really invest a lot of capital yeah, into you to, your you own logistics create, network. Yeah, you don't need to create that infrastructure for yourself. The shipping, you're not shipping, you're not buying trucks and hiring employees to ship things. Like no. traditionally, if you own a bakery, you buy the products, you make the bread, you package the bread, you put it on trucks, you send it out to wherever else, and then you sell, you sell bread in your bakery shop. What, what you're saying is that these guys just kind of make the bread, Amazon picks it up, stores it, logs it, ships it for them, and they're basically just doing one thing. Yeah, like the, this particular company, the amount of inventory that they personally have on hand is about $200,000. The amount of inventory they have with Amazon is like three or four million. That's wild. Wow. So they just, they have their factories, they make things, and it goes to their warehouse and they keep very little in their own warehouse. They just pretty much immediately send it out to Amazon and let it be Amazon's problem. And then Amazon handles the sales and Amazon takes a big cut. So Amazon does that. And then like the same thing with like streaming video, streaming music, like eBooks, all these other things is they just get into industries and try and make it a cheaper experience for the user because Amazon doesn't care about making money in the short term. Their goal is to run the competitors out of the industry so that way they don't have anybody to compete against. Well, you know, I've, and, and I, I've noticed that. I, I know some other people that are in the Amazon business a little bit, um, not big time sellers. But I've also, over the last couple of years, noticed a lot of Amazon branded trucks on the road. Every so, day in front of my house, there's Amazon vans and trucks. Do you know who owns those trucks? I that's a good question because that's i was wondering if maybe they're branded but owned by fedex or ups none of the above okay they are owned by private businesses so if if you want to be a private business if you want to if you want to deliver for amazon all you need to do is buy one of their approved vehicles usually like a sprinter van Mm mm-hmm pay for like the graphics to be installed on it mm-hmm. and then sign a contract and a license agreement with Amazon about like basically what you're agreeing to do and the fees and everything like yeah, that. Of but all those guys that you see in the sprinter vans the, the, with the Amazon logo on them, those are not employees of Amazon. Those trucks are not owned by Amazon. Those are all people that subcontract delivery from Amazon. Mm, interesting. Yeah. They're, maybe they're paying license fees or maybe whatever it is built into the agreement. So look, so I got, I get, I know you get some things to talk about, but I got some questions about economic inequality, wealth gap. We we haven't talked 
anything racial yet, but a lot of the research I was doing this afternoon, this evening on wealth gap, you know, I just searched, how do we solve the wealth gap? It brought up a lot of racial issues. So we're, I don't think we're going to get too much into that today. Again, you know, well, hang on, let me, let me run through these questions, but there's a lot of directions we can go with this. So, you know, we're not trying to be ignorant. We're trying to hit the high points on, on the wealth gap right now. Real quick, before you get into those, let's just throw a question out to the viewers so that way they can comment on stuff while, while we're going through this. Yeah. And the question that I want them to answer is like, one, do you think that current wealth inequality is a problem? And two, what do you think the solution is? Mm, so that's something I really want to talk about is, is potential solution. So, all right. So I have that the top 1% have roughly 40%. And I think it's more now, I think it's closer to 50% of the wealth in the U S is that relatively accurate? Um, I don't know. So say there's, say there's, uh, $10 trillion in the U S the top 1% has four to $5 trillion. Yeah. So the rest of the, that other 40 or 50, 50 or 60% is shared among the, the other 99%. No, it's really shared among. Well, it's really <laughs> shared among the other 9%. Yeah, exactly. So, so then you get 90% that have roughly the remaining 20%. So yeah. you have, you have, you have 90% of the population that has roughly $2 trillion to play around with. And then that's a, that's also a parabolic looking, looking curve and very, very steep as well. Not quite. Well, once you drop your 10%, it actually doesn't look so parabolic, but um, so the, the number of people in, in poverty vastly outnumber the rich, right? We're talking 1%. So what's keeping people from reclaiming this wealth What's people what's keeping what's keep, keeping people from organizing and saying you know what, we need a solution you know i make thirty thousand dollars a year and you don't do anything and you have billions of dollars i'm gonna grab you know uh 10 of my good friends and we're gonna post on facebook and we're just gonna come you know burn your house down and 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 torture you until you sign over some of your assets like what's, well, what's what's keeping people from rebelling is really my point well that actually happened like 120 130 years ago um what country in in, in some yeah here um okay. the the modern labor movement was basically a compromise where like it used to be that like workers in factories that felt what, that they were being exploited or whatever there were there were not so isolated cases where the workers kind of banded together and like killed the factory owner and unionization and minimum wages and stuff like that and and various wage like worker safety laws those are all kind of compromises of the workers saying we won't find and kill the factory owner if you agree to these things um well, and I think I think that's what we're lacking a lot of these days is just crazy extremism. We're so removed with with our you know window guards and stove knob covers and the pussification of the culture that we don't realize that that's in our history. Yeah, but I don't think that that's really a good place to go back to. I don't either, but I'm just saying that's that's in our part of our genesis of where we are now. Yeah, but it's more like. 
that solution that was cooked up 120, 130 years ago, um, that's starting to fail because we're no longer seeing the power of unions or worker protection laws anywhere near as strong as they were when they were first written. And so one of the problems is when you look at the way that we tax people, that like people like Warren Buffett, and Warren Buffett's even said this himself, Warren Buffett pays less in tax as a percentage than his secretary does. Yeah, and- His secretary pays a higher rate than he does. And, and Warren Buffett's like, this is wrong. Um, so you have to look and say, well, why aren't we taxing this more? And that would be a big solution is tax, tax the super high earners more. And one thing that I have to give the, the political right credit for, although grudgingly so, is that they've managed to brainwash their base into thinking that the higher tax rates for the rich is a problem for them. Oh, if I'm I, earning 50, I love this. I, if I, I'm I, earning 50 or 70 or a hundred thousand dollars a year, then none of these tax laws apply to me. No, but even if I'm earning two or three hundred thousand dollars a year, which is pretty good. There's a lot of people on the on the right who are not high income earners who completely oppose taxes to the higher income earners. Yeah, and that's one thing that to me doesn't make any sense. But the fact that the right has been able to convince these people that higher taxes on the people uh, on, on people that they will never be somehow apply to them. And there's always this illusion of, well, we're going to tax people that make more than a million dollars a year. That's not me today, but someday it could be. And then you look at them, you're like, not you. Let me tell you something about the, the, the thing is, is that when you're in high school, you are simultaneously in high school and also a millionaire driving a Lamborghini because you fully believe that that's the, that's, that's the life that the future has in store for you. And then you go to college and you realize that this is bullshit, but you just got to do it. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of a cog in the, in the, in the gear there to get you to that, that next lifestyle, or you drop out and you're like, but you know what? College just wasn't for me, but there's another solution. Um, and, and that's ultimately, I think why you have so many people playing the lotto because they just think that that's in their future. Mm-hmm. It's inevitable, even though, I mean, I, I go to the, the same shop every day lately and I see people throwing 60, 80 bucks a day on the fucking lottery. I'm like, these guys barely have that 60 or 80 bucks. They could be doing so much more with that money. Well, even think about if you were investing 60 or 60 or $80 a day and you just put it in the safest stuff imaginable. Well, I don't know they're doing it, but you were investing it. But even if they were doing it weekly, that would be, that'd be really good for them. The point that I want to make though, is that this, the reality that you're not going to be driving a Lamborghini and living in a mansion slowly sets in. But I don't know exactly when that happens. I don't, you know, I, I still believe I'm pretty upwardly financially mobile. I work really hard. I'm not trying to do the same thing day after day. Yeah, I'd like to create and, you know, I'm not, I don't have a regular paycheck job. So that's cool. I work in, in a sales field. But I, I don't, you know, I, I'm not, I don't believe that I'm destined to be driving Lamborghinis and, and living in mansions. Uh, and, and, I don't know. You know, I talk with young people now and they just all think that's in the future, but they, they're not willing to put in the work. It's not even about whether or not you're willing to put it in the work. 
it's but, but the, I mean, what the, what is the work? The work is basically stumbling upon a, a secret cheat code and exploiting the fuck out of it. You have to either get really, really lucky and be able like you have to be willing to take risks and found a company. That's step one. Step two is you have to be lucky enough for it to be successful to the point that you're able to get large investments of outside money into the company. Then the company needs to continue to succeed after that point. Yeah. Well, I mean, or you need to hit the lottery and you're, I think the chances of winning are like one in it, depending on the lottery between 170 million to 370 million to one. Yes. And, and of the winners, how many of those people retain their wealth? <laughs> Oh, uh, that's fascinating, actually. But... <laughs> All right, hang on, though. I want to I talk about a couple of other things. So um, what I was saying is the number of people in poverty and, and that, are, that have no wealth, not even the, the charts that we just showed, they don't even register on the charts because you can't show the high numbers. That, it's just or like, they don't well, register on the charts because they actually have negative wealth. And, and the other thing, yeah, and that we, we skipped that part of the end of the video where they talked about people who have very little wealth and then people that are just saddled by debt and credit card debt or mortgage or whatever, and they're, they're well underwater. Um, but what I had, I had spent a little while this, this evening thinking about was, could people organize together and come up with a plan to, you know, the, the redistribution of wealth is, is kind of has a bad connotation, but but somehow restructure the world so that, or the economy so that, the wealthy who don't need any more money, we're talking about the top 1% to the top 10%, they don't need any more money, um, that they kind of stop growing in wealth and then the rest of the country starts growing in wealth. But I was, I was thinking about this and I don't think there's any way that's possible because the wealthy are super powerful and the idea of organizing, especially in today's society, is, uh, is impossible. You can't get people together on a massive scale. And, uh, and, and I think no matter what happens, any of the solutions are not going to be fair for all. And that's where we have the breakdown is in coming up with a solution. It's not... You're not going to give everybody $100,000 because that's not going to make any sense. But are you going to give the person that is homeless on the street a hundred grand and the person that is making a hundred grand, a hundred grand? Does that seem fair? Well, this kind of ties back to our chat about UBI a long time ago. Exactly. But that's what that socialist, um, the the one chart where everybody was making the same people are disincentivized to work when they have that money well right that's why most people when you look at like how do you think it should be wasn't 100 percent equal i don't think anybody wants complete equal redistribution of wealth but you can look at someone who's a billionaire and you say once you make it to a billion dollars you're done you win like <laughs> well i just i but i i think that's just kind of people's lack of ability to to comprehend ideals, right? Yes. Like when they think ideal, you know, if you're really out of shape and, and somebody's like, what would your ideal body be? They're not going to say like paper, uh, paper thin skin on your abs. 
They're, you know, they're just going to say like 34 size waist. Yeah, but right. But that, but it, it also depends on who you're surveying. Sure. But again, you can look at like for someone that has a billion dollars or let's say someone that has $10 billion, how much is, of it? That's the how, same person in my eyes. Just Okay. Well, and, and you're getting to the, the point that I'm trying to make, which is yeah, I know. <laughs> if you if you have $10 billion and then a week later you lose $9 billion of that, how does that affect your life? And the answer is it fucking doesn't. Well, not in measurable ways from someone in our perspective. But I'm sure somebody in that perspective would basically like be like, all right, fuck, we got to cancel Netflix. We're going to we got to cancel HBO Max. We got to really dial this shit in. All right. No more ordering out, guys. We got to dial it back. All right. So let me ask you this question. If you were to if you were to all of a sudden have a million dollars in your bank account today, how would that change your life? No, I probably wouldn't change my life that much. Okay. So what's the difference between a million dollars and a billion dollars? Uh nine hundred ninety-nine million dollars. Very about a billion dollars. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so but hold up, let me let me get back to this. Is there any way? of people working together to figure out some way for the super wealthy to stop gaining in wealth and the remaining 90, 95, 99% to grow in wealth. And really ideally not that, you know, 1% to 10% of the people gaining gaining wealth. Think about it this way. Um, I need to look this up, but Let's just take like the top five people in this country. So like Bezos, Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, Elon Musk, and number five. If you were to just take all of them and drop them down to $10 billion, and if you were to take all of that money and just put it towards, I don't know, healthcare and infrastructure, not infrastructure, healthcare and education, you just made it so that like people wouldn't be bankrupted by medical debt and that people could go to college for free. Think about mm-hmm. that, what that would do for wealth inequality. You know, what percentage of um, bankruptcies in this country are due to medical debt? No, but I just got off the phone with somebody who told me uh, she had cancer uh, two years ago and now her credit score is in the 500s. It's like so- over 50%. Yeah, oh. the problem is anything that happens medical-wise, if you if you don't have great health insurance, you are screwed. But to throw things back into education, I think, would be really, really huge. I think our education system is about the worst it's ever been. And uh, Robin, Robin uh, Elliot Galeb, who joined us uh, a few podcasts back, sent me a message the other day, I think with an article about, uh, about teachers or something and about how they were, you know, most of them start off making like 30 grand and it's a tough job or something. And I, I just, I, I, I said, uh, she said, I have a master's degree. She's not talking about herself. It's a cover of a time magazine. I have a master's degree, 16 years of experience, work two extra jobs and donate blood plasma to pay the bills. I'm a teacher in America. And I responded, so why do people take these jobs? 
because the, the education system is in is in really rough shape. The economics of taking a teaching job don't line up. The reason why you take a teaching job is because you like teaching. Yeah, that's it. But, or yeah, I mean, but among that's not other the... among or or you just there's other reasons as well, but. But you're not doing it for the money. And so if you were to take all this money and just redistribute it, screw it, not even healthcare, just education or whatever. And you made education more available, higher quality across the board and stretching out farther into life so that you cover first four years or college and maybe even graduate school. First, you're going to be paying teachers more. So that is going to already eliminate some inequality. And then you're going to have higher educated workforce across the board because education is better across the board. Not even a higher educated workforce, but a high, higher educated populace. Yeah. And, and then you get better, you know, more informed voting. You, like things, things get way better from there. You so, get, you, yeah. so, so your thinking is how do, how do people reclaim wealth? How do we restructure wealth? You think <laughs> taking money away from the billionaires and investing in education. Who, who does it hurt? Well, it hurts the billionaires, and they have a lot. How does of power. it hurt them? How does it hurt power. them? So, how do we? How do we? How do the the ninety nine percent join join forces? You know, powwow, and then come up with a plan. I don't because I don't think that happens. I don't think anybody sits in a circle, powwows, and and has an agreement. Not anymore. Well, not uh, with it. Not with it being vastly unfair. You want to say and, realistically and right, how do how do, how does this get implemented? And the answer is I don't have any idea. But yeah, I think right now, it, it, no matter what happens, it's going to be unfair. And unfortunately, that's where it falls apart without uh, tough leadership. And unfortunately, it does take like a Trump-like person who, who's just okay with pissing off a lot of people. Now, I'm not saying Trump is a person to, to complete this objective, but... <laughs> no, um, no. If anything, he made it worse. Yeah, no. Yeah, he, he actually, he, he did. A lot of that tax law is not, not great for the everyman. Not great for the ninety percent or the ninety nine percent. No. Um, uh, well, you know, there's other stuff I wanted to cover. I wanted to cover uh, the jo- you know the jobs that disappeared, not coming back, and then the fact that people don't want the jobs that are available right now, and uh, and they're still getting getting by, right? Like <laughs> at this point, the the safety net is is a down you know, a down mattress or a horsehair mattress, one of those fucking $10,000 mat. I don't know if you shop for a mattress lately, but they go from, you know, 600 and 800,000, 1200 bucks to like 10 grand real fucking fast. Um, my last mattress that I bought cost me $500. <laughs> um, no horsehair on that one. Yeah. No, no, I, I hope that's not. A, that's a shame. Um, but my point is people don't want these jobs and the world's just going to keep cruising and these people are going to continue to be broke um, and reliant on state and federal programs, which are funded by the middle class, which are paying everybody's bills. They're paying for the broke people. They're paying for those social services and they're paying taxes and they're paying uh and they're buying everything, so the rich people are getting rich off the middle class. So the middle class. Well, you can also look at a company like Walmart and, and argue that they're they're federally subsidized because a lot of their workers are on food stamps or other kind of like government assistance, and that and that's what like that, those are that, those are costs that Walmart should be paying. You should be able to afford to live on a full time wage from some company, and if you're working full time for a company and you're still <laughs> on food stamps or something else, that's a problem. Well, especially when it's one of the biggest companies in the country. 
mm-hmm. the most profitable. Yeah. The, I mean, that's that is like your magnifying glass right there. Like it, it, it's not fine print. Like this is big, bold fucking print. You, the biggest company is the people that work there full time don't make enough money to afford life. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not talking a luxurious life. I'm talking about being able to pay for rent and food. Yeah, I was going to talk a little bit more about the federal programs that the middle class are paying for, basically that your taxes pay for, because the middle class, they buy everything and they pay taxes. So the taxes cover the the poor and the, the least wealthy. And then what they're buying enhances the wealth for the richest. Well, let's throw out some questions for people to we hit are out of time. Man. All right. Well, then we'll have to do it tomorrow. Uh, yeah, we, I, I actually think we should revisit this tomorrow. We'll go a lot more in depth. We'll bring some more stats. Uh, I'll try to figure out some way to get the, the graphics on the screen so we can both see them and talk about them. Yep. Uh, but on that note, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. See you guys next time. Thank you, James, for joining. Thank you, Rosh. We'll let Rosh get off to dinner, but thank you, Rosh, for feeding us everybody's comments. See you guys next time. Cheers. Adi- adios. All right, my friends, that is the end of the episode. You made it this far. If you have not already subscribed, you owe me that. You just uh, spent the last hour with James and I, so uh, I think it's only fair. Also, because we are trying to grow this podcast, very, very important that you interact somehow. You throw us a like, you throw us a comment, uh, you share the podcast. Anything you can do will help us out, and I truly, from the bottom of my heart, appreciate it. So thank you, guys. I'll see you next time. We're going to continue the conversation about the wealth gap, so stay tuned. See ya. I like PBR. I just got priced out of it.